Thank you, worship team, for, man, really preparing our hearts for today. That was fantastic, as always. Good morning. How's everybody? Half asleep? All right. That's going to be great. Fantastic. All right. Y'all ready to get to work? I, say, I, I realize I just said that. I say that on the basketball court on Wednesday nights with the guys when they're kind of in a slump and I'm trying to get them fired up and get them to really, you know, play aggressively. I say, are y'all ready to go to work? So y'all ready to go to work today? All right, good. Now we're awake. All right. So just as a reminder, we're in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to uh, several churches that were struggling. They needed encouragement. Okay. And so we've been kind of walking through this book over the last several months. And when we got to chapter three, we noticed that the author did something. Uh, he kind of moved to a negative tone. And I'll be honest, I struggle with that a little bit. Um, I work in the, in the area of sales. So I sell stuff and people sell stuff to me a lot. And one of the things that I hate the most is when a salesman comes in and his whole pitch is to tell me how bad his competitors are to show you how good he is. That's just, I don't like it, okay? If that's, I tell salesmen all the time, if you're coming in, you're going to tell me how bad your competitor's product is. Don't waste your time because I'm not going to listen to what you have to say because what we ought to be focused on is the goodness of what we have, right? And so that's what we're going to do today. What we're going to read is going to be, again, just like it last week, it's going to be in a negative tone, but God's going to reveal to us this week something we already know that we have, but I feel like he's going to put a, a greater emphasis on it for us, and I'm excited about that word today. So if we take a step back and we look at what we've learned in this chapter, we see that we need to trust and we need to hold fast to Jesus. And we're going to see that message continue today through the rest of this chapter. We're going to finish out chapter 3 today, but we're going to see him calling our attention back to that again because today is kind of putting a, a capstone, if you will, on this chapter the first week we compared to Moses to Jesus, and we saw that while Moses was faithful in his calling as a servant to God, Jesus was even more faithful as a son. And we talked about the difference between a servant and a son, the advantages that the son has that the servant never can. We also talked about how Jesus is the perfect high priest because he's experienced all that we have to experience, all that we struggle with, he also struggled with and so he's able to represent us well and then we were reminded of Israel's inability to remain faithful and I don't know if you guys picked up on this this morning or not but there is a strong message of faithfulness and leaning upon the Lord for that and we're going to hear more about that today okay but we need to remember that we struggle just like Israel did that, that their struggles might have looked different they lived in a different time than we do but we all struggle and and as Jacob pointed out Several weeks ago when he preached, if you drill it down to the base stuff, it's all the same, right? Picking up in verse 13 today, we're going to look at the author's encouragement to the church. He's revealing the tools that we have to fight against sin. As we looked last week at Exodus chapter 15 and chapter 16, and then a little further on in chapter 20, we see that Israel over and over and over again, God says, look, if you'll just do what I say, if you'll obey me, I will take care of you. And Israel would say, okay, we'll do that. And then they didn't. And we have those same struggles in our lives. But we also talked about that as followers of Jesus, our will, because the Holy Spirit lives in us, our will is always in line with God's. The problem is, is that we still live in these flesh bodies, right? And with that is the sin of the world around us. And so there is this struggle that's always happening in us. But what we got to remember is that Jesus has already won the fight. 
right? He's already won the battle. So the battle that is raging inside of us, our desire, remember we talked about Paul last week, says the things that I want to do, I can't, and the things I don't want to do is what I find myself doing. That is a struggle that all of us have. It's not unique to Paul, it wasn't unique to Israel, and it's not unique to you and I. And so today what we're going to see the author do is he's going to give us some tools to help us with that struggle. We're going to see today how incredibly powerful that tool is. And I hope that you recognize today um, that this tool is one that we're very familiar with. As we start to talk about it, as I tell you what that tool is, I haven't said it on purpose yet. But as we talk about that, you're going to go, oh yeah, okay, I see. I see what God's doing. Okay, it's been available to us and we use it pretty well. But it's something that we need to get even better at, using and sharing. And we'll get to that later though, okay? So I was talking with a friend this week and he was describing um, his situation at work. And I've worked in places like this before and you probably have too where um, the people that are around you um, just bring you down, right? It's just an environment where um, when you get there, it's just like maybe your day was going great and then all of a sudden because of the activity, the conversations, it just brings everything down. It's a lot of drama. And I, I was done with drama when I got out of high school and I don't like it now and I didn't like it then. But, but we find ourselves in it. And I'm not picking on people because, let's be honest, we get dramatic sometimes too, right? Also, sometimes, have you ever experienced this? You just wake up in the morning. Nothing has even happened yet. And you're in what I would describe as a funk. Just, you wake up and you're just kind of woe is me, right? And just feel sorry for yourself. You're having a little pity party. And nothing seems to really get you out of that. I see some smiles in the back. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We all experience those kind of things. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves, is how do we deal with all of that? How do we deal with the things in life when life is going well and we encounter it and now we don't feel great? And how do we deal with it when we wake up in the mornings and nothing's even caused it yet? How do we deal with that? What's the tools that God has given us to work through that? As we talked about last week, we want to have a good attitude, right? We want to be the people that God has called us to be. That is our desire. We don't wake up every day being like, well, do I want to be a follower of Jesus or not? That's not normally how that conversation rolls out in our head. If we were to ask you at any moment in any day, do you want to, do you want to follow Jesus? Well, your answer is going to be yes, and it would be honest. It would be truthful. But you may be like myself or my friend. Or that could happen with you with family. I know sometimes that families can be difficult. If you didn't know that, they can be. Or maybe it's a group of friends, people that you love dearly, but every now and then just things just go south and you don't know how to deal with that. We weren't the only people that struggled with this, right? Like I said a while ago, those things at their base level are the same struggles and it has to do with the fact that we're human, right? And that we have sin in us. And the hearers of this book of Hebrews had the same struggles. They'd lost a lot for the sake of following Jesus. And they found themselves just in this funk. And and when you read that originally, when we first start talking about it, you you think, yeah, but they've heard about Jesus. Like they they know that Jesus died for their sins. They know that his death on the cross, his mercy that was poured out on us because of that means that we get to have a relationship with him. And, and in your mind you go, so that should make everything better, right? But that's not how it plays out in my life. And I know that's not how it always plays out in your life. And it's not because Jesus isn't good. It's not because the message isn't amazing. It's just because. It's because we are the way that we are. 
So in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of the struggle that the, that the hearers of this word are having, they're exhorted, they're encouraged to not be like Israel and trade their desire for comfort in, in place, don't put that desire for comfort in place of obedience to God. We're going to see this morning that, that when life gets difficult, the answer isn't just a distraction. The answer isn't to just run away. The answer is to dive in. The answer is obedience. I want you to read this passage with me this morning. It'll be on the screen or you can look at it in your own Bible. Hebrews chapter 3 verses 13 through 19. We're going to read the whole chunk because I like to do it that way and then we'll kind of break it down. It says, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So this passage, we're going to break it down into two sections today. Um, the first one is pointing to things that we've already talked about, that we need to trust and hold fast to Jesus. And then the second section is he asks some questions and answers them with questions. And isn't that always fun? Okay, we'll get to those in a minute. Today we're going to see that the follow-up to, the, the, to these two ideas, because like you, I, I understand that we need these two things. We need to, to trust and we need to hold fast to Jesus. But how does one do that when you find yourself in the middle of that funk? How does that change your reality in that moment? First thing he tells the church to do is to encourage one another. When he says in verse 13, while it's still called today, what he's saying is we should not delay. We need to encourage each other right now, ASAP. Don't put this off because it is important. This wording tells us that the author intends for them to make a practical application as soon as possible. So when we see him say to encourage one another, he's not saying next week when you get together, encourage one another. Today, right now. I said earlier that this is something that we're familiar with because this is the purpose of our life groups. That is the tool if you haven't put the pieces together yet. God has given us these groups and the purpose of those groups is to love one another really well, okay? God's told us to live in community so that we can encourage one another. For the church that this letter was written to, there was such a great temptation for them to walk away from their faith just like Israel did. The author is telling them and us to relate to one another in an atmosphere of encouragement. And I'm not talking about creating a, a, a fake feeling atmosphere where you put on a smile no matter how you feel. And hey, welcome to my house. And people look at you and go, that's so fake. She's just not excited that we're here. I don't know why I made it a woman. It could be a dude. You know, I, I think about my own life group, and I think about life groups that I've visited, and I think about the encouragement that I receive. Now, I lead the life group, okay? But I am always so encouraged by the people in my life group because I, just like them, have stuff going on in my life, and sometimes it's not good stuff. Sometimes it's stuff that I don't want to talk about. Sometimes it's stuff that I need to talk about, but I don't want to. And every week, and I'm not the only one, every week our group, 
talks through the things that we're struggling with, the things that are going well. And we encourage one another in those. And we've heard so many testimonies right here through that microphone on Sunday mornings of the encouragement that the church has received through those groups. And so why is it critical that we do this regularly? Look at the end of verse 13. It says, but encourage each other daily while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. The hardening of the heart that he references is not something that happens overnight, but it's an adopted, inflexible mindset. You see, a heart doesn't become hardened overnight. It's something that happens slowly over time. Remember what we heard last week from that for Israel, what was at first just a symptom developed into a settled habit of mind. See, it starts just as a funk. But if we don't address it, if we don't deal with the sin of our life, if we don't let people encourage us, if we don't give ourselves opportunities to be encouraged and opportunities to encourage others, that little kind of funk is going to grow and it's going to fester. And pretty soon we're going to feel so distanced from the people that are in our lives whose job it is to love us that we don't feel like we can feel love from them anymore. And it's not because we set out with the idea of I'm going to distance myself so that I don't have to deal with them anymore. It's a, you know, I'm a little tired today. I think I'll skip life group. Or, you know, uh, and we can go on and on and on with the examples. Gathering together, sharing what's going on in our lives, then giving and receiving encouragement keeps us from falling into or staying away from sin. Attending and participating in worship and life groups isn't something that we just do. It's who we are. It is our identity in Christ. We were made to live in community with God. And so these communities that God has placed us in, this is not just about us doing something because it feels good. It's us doing this because that is how we were created. Listen, the whole world experienced over the last year what it feels like to be disconnected when we were all locked down. And we've talked about in our own lives the struggles that we've had with mental health, with depression, with um, the emotional side effects of that, with the spiritual side effects of that. So right now, people understand in a way maybe that they never have before the value of community, the value of, of really tight connections of of being around a group of people that you know love you dearly you know we're creating God's likeness and and I don't know if you ever thought about this but God purposely surrounded himself with a host of angels and he created us for the sole purpose of having a relationship with him and we're we're created in his image right we understand that and if God purposely surrounded himself by other people what does that mean for us It means whether you're introverted or extroverted, God created you to be around other people. We need that in our lives. Let's move on to verse 14. It says, for we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had from the start. He's saying that we have become participants in the kingdom of God. Right there where it says participants in Christ, that's what he's saying. We are not bystanders. We're not called to come to a church and sit in the back and say, That's the church over there. I come once a week. It's great. As believers, God has called us to participate in kingdom work. And the way that we do that is by living in community, by being in a missional community with other people. And he says, if. If we hold firmly until the end. 
We don't do what Israel did and, and choose to live in disobedience. That's the if. We are participants in the kingdom if we choose to live in obedience. And here again, we see that idea of holding firmly. I, I was thinking about how to kind of wrap our brains around that, what it means and how important it is to hold firmly. Um, and I don't know if you've ever held a snake before. I'm not particularly fond of them. Raise your hand if you've held a snake. Okay. A lot of hands in the knot going up. Mm-mm. Okay. I'll never forget whenever um, we first bought the house next to my parents, my mom called me in a panic because she does not do snakes. And she said, Will, your wife is letting the kids play with a snake. Do something. I was like, Mom, if she's letting them, then it's okay. But how do you hold a snake? You just kind of juggle it around and play with it. No, you get that sucker by the head. You hold him, right? Especially if it's a poisonous one and you don't let it go until you're ready to let it go. That's, that's how we need to hold on to these communities that God's given us. We need to hold firmly as if our life depends on it because it does. Because God has created us to live in these communities and they are significant for us. The author backs up this idea by reminding them of what happened when Israel lost focus of what's important. When they stopped holding firmly what was most important, they strayed away from God. The second section begins with him quoting from these Psalms again, and then he follows it with five questions. So let's read that chunk again, and then we'll talk about it. This is verse 15 through 19. As it is said, today if if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled, wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So the first two questions, he says, who heard and understood yet rebelled? And then he answers it with a question, was it not Israel? Was it, was it not the ones that God delivered from slavery in Egypt? Was it not God who walked them through the Red Sea? Was it not God who provided water when they needed it? Was it not God who provided food for them when they were in the desert? And yet they rebelled. The rebellion, I want you to think about this, was a result of Moses' leadership. And I'm going to explain that in just a minute. Remember, we just, at the beginning of this chapter, <clears throat> we compared the leadership of Moses to Jesus. And Moses was fallible, right? Like we are. This is a good word for us in terms of how much weight we need to put in the leadership of those around us. Now, I just talked about how important community is, and now I'm going to talk about how we don't need to fully lean on that. And I want you to see the, the importance of those two things, okay? Because community is important, okay? But our faith is in God, not in a person. See, there's a balance that happens here because if we put all of our eggs in the basket of, I'm going to completely trust these people to make sure that I know Jesus. I'm going to trust in these people to make sure that I feel good. I'm going to put my trust in these people for, and the list can go on and on. We're going to end up being disappointed. We're going to end up being led astray. Because where does our trust need to be? In God, right? A big part of Israel's issue is that they got this wrong. They put their trust not in God, but in Moses, let's look quickly at, at the progression of the hardening of the hearts of Israel. We're going to kind of fly through this, so hang with me. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. He said, and this is God, If you will carefully obey the Lord your God 
Do what is right in his sight, pay attention to his commands, and keep all his statutes. I will not inflict any illness on you that I inflicted on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Okay, so God is telling Israel, we talked about this last week, do what I say and I'm going to take care of you, right? And then chapter 19, verses 7 through 8, after Moses came back from the mountain, he summoned the elders and the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people responded together saying, listen to this, we will do all that the Lord has spoken. Now this is after they complained at Marah. This is after Elam, where God provided them with the oasis. This is after God has provided them with manna and quail. So they've had failure after failure after failure. Moses goes on the mountain, he comes back, and he says, this is what the Lord has said. And the people say together, we will do all that the Lord has spoken. And then look just a little bit later at Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 19. All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning and the sound of the ram's horn and the mountain surrounded by smoke. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. And listen to what they said. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses. Don't let God speak to us or we will die. Moses went on the mountain to be with God. And God's glory covered that mountain. And I'll be the first to admit, if you're standing on a mountain and it's covered by smoke and lightning and thunder and the ground begins to shake, I'm going to be scared too. But the problem was is that the people said, that's too much for me. I don't want to talk to God anymore. Moses, you talk to God and I'll talk to you and you tell us what to do. If we look at the world around us, the church is in a pretty rough state right now. And I'm convinced that's because people have put too much trust in their leaders. Now, I'm standing here as your pastor saying that. And I want you to hear me. God has put me in a place of leadership in your life. But I am not God. And we all need to remember that, me included. It's important that we go to Him. God's going to speak through me to you. That's how it's designed to work. But God also wants to speak to you in your life. And if we circumvent that process, it's going to make a mess for all of us. Rather than taking the opportunity that God gave them to hear and respond directly to him, Israel chose to put a mediator between themselves and God. And God still wanted to use Moses as their leader, but God wanted to have direct input as well. That's why God wanted to speak to them. But Israel refused. All of us should be trusting the Holy Spirit to guide us personally as well as the leaders that God has placed in our life. There is a delicate balance that is needed there. And the way we maintain that balance is by staying connected to God and staying connected to one another. We cannot have one without the other. We can pursue God, but if we forsake the community that he's called us to live in, we're missing part of who God is. If we only dive into the community and we forsake the person of God, we are missing part of who God is. We don't get to pick and choose those things. God has given us people to encourage us, but they cannot take the place of God in our lives. We cannot depend on a life group or a pastor or an elder or a deacon or anybody else in our lives to be God for us because we're missing out on the goodness of God when we do that. So the next two questions, it says, with whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it those who sinned and died in the wilderness? I don't know if you remember this story, but the final straw was God sends 12 spies into Canaan to go spy out the land, right? To go look at the promised land and report back to the people how good it was. 
The intent there was that God was going to send these men out and they were going to come back and be like, y'all, we've been in the wilderness all this time. We've been living in the desert, eating the same stuff every day. But you ought to see the fruit on the trees over here. There's so much grass, the cows can't even eat it all. But what did they say when they got back? They said, y'all, there's some giants over there and, and we can't defeat those. Don't think about that. God just delivered them from Egypt the Egyptians, it says, gave them everything they asked for. Jewels, money, food, whatever. Gave it to them. They crossed the Red Sea. They look back. They see the mightiest, fiercest army in the world get drowned. And then they spend all this time in the desert where God is giving them everything they need. And 12 guys come back. Two of them are like, y'all, we got it. Let's go right now. And all the rest of them are like, Man, them dudes is too big. We can't do it. Israel had forgotten how good God was. I don't think they forgot the things that God did, but their trust was not in God, it was in Moses. They slowly, over the course of their time in the wilderness, chose to place their trust in men rather than in God. They were living in active rebellion. The, ne the neglecting of meeting together for us and holding firmly to what we believe is an opportunity for active rebellion on us. If we forsake our relationship with God, we're living in rebellion. If we forsake our life groups, if we forsake meeting together on Sunday mornings, we are in rebellion against God. So don't be like Israel and spend your entire life only hearing from men rebelling against God and suffering as a result of that rebellion. That's not what God has for us. He has so much more. The last question, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed. Look, God doesn't like it when we purposely do the opposite of what he tells us to do. Matter of fact, I don't know anybody who likes that. Parents, you like it when your kids do the opposite of what you tell them to do? Do you like it when the people that you work with do the opposite of what they're supposed to do? Nobody's answering, but the answer is no. Nobody likes that. <laughs> but that's what we choose to do. And what the author is pointing out is that the cost of willful disobedience is real high. It's real high. Look with me at that story I just told you. I want you to see it in Scripture. Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. The Lord spoke to Moses, Send men to scout out the land of Canaan I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one man who is a leader among them from each of their ancestral tribes. Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the Lord's command. And all the men were leaders in Israel. So God sends the leaders. Okay? And then verses 30 through chapter 14, 4. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, let's go up now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. But the men who had gone up with him responded, we can't attack the people because they're stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to Israel about the land they had scouted. The land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people saw that, there, that in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim. There, the descendants of Anak that came from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers, and we must have seemed the same to them. Then the whole community broke into loud cries, and the people wept that night. All the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron, and the whole community told them, if only, listen to this, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. 
wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. You see, when you purposefully live in rebellion, you lose sight. And you're not holding firmly the things that the Lord has told you to do. You lose sight of why I told you to do it. You lose sight of who God is. And instead of receiving the incredible gifts that God gives us as we walk in obedience, instead of getting to see the glory of God, we choose to walk back into slavery, to sin and to death. For Israel, it cost the lives of an entire generation except for Joshua and Caleb who were faithful. And we're going to talk about them next week. Verse 19 again in Hebrews chapter 3. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. We're going to talk about his rest more next week when we talk about Joshua. But the point he's making is that we need to see is that they didn't receive it because they didn't believe and they didn't obey. They didn't have faith. There's great power, church, in the echo chamber that we put around ourselves. You should think about that. There's great power in the people that we put around us. But here's the thing. We're called to live in darkness, right? We are to be a light in the darkness. Jesus inside of us is the hope of glory. God has purposely told us to live in this world. We cannot escape from it until we die. And it would be impossible to fulfill the Great Commission if we didn't go live out in the world. If we stay huddled up by ourselves in our, in our nice little groups and we don't ever venture outside of that, we're not going to be able to share the gospel with other people. Now, there's certainly value, and the Lord has told us to do that. Leah even pointed that out this morning, how we are to encourage one another. She read that from the book of Romans, chapter 1. God's called us to do that. Paul says, I can't wait to get there and tell you the gospel. And they already knew the gospel. But there's value in that. But we can't neglect that there are people around us in our lives that also need to hear that gospel. The incredible tool that we have that we need to utilize and to share with others is our life groups. That's the way in which we do that. We find support, encouragement, and love when we gather together, when we share our lives, when we really are authentic about what's going on, and we study the Word and see how it applies to that. We need it, and the people in our lives need it who don't know who Jesus is. It's time for us to take a serious look at how we do life groups. To ask ourselves, am I being faithful to the call that God has given me to be an active member in my life group. It's not that life groups are doing anything wrong. This is not an accusation. This is what we encounter in the text today, okay? But I have to ask myself the question, have life groups begun to be something that we just do or are they fulfilling their purpose? I went back and looked at our distinctives because I wanted to say this the same way it's said in our distinctives. But this, listen to this, church. It says, this is, when you became a member, you signed a document that said, yes, I believe these things. Okay, it says, we believe the Bible has set a precedence for small group discipleship and ministry. Our church is committed to developing small groups that will provide ministry, discussion is about biblical application, and fellowship for every member. And a little on further down, it says, we provide opportunities through small groups for relationship building in a non-threatening environment. Listen, I, I feel like we're really good at the first part of that. You can go to any life group in this church and immediately you're going to feel welcome and you're going to see the, the continuity that's in that group, that they are well-connected, and that is awesome. That is to be applauded. 
But I have to look at my own life group, and I ask you to look at your life group and say, have we made space for new people? Have we done it in a way that we can invite others to come in and be a part of that group? the end of our distinctives when we're talking about our mission, it says we believe that God is leading us to be a church that multiplies, right? We understand that about us as Gathering Place Churches. But listen to this. It says to be effective in carrying out this distinctive, all of our leaders and members need to help create a missional culture. And that's not something that happens outside of life group. That's something that happens in your life group. We're ascending church, and it's in our DNA to plant new churches. This means that when we outgrow our current facilities, we'll be asking God to call some of our members to a new work. Listen to this. I love this. It is our dream that one day God will be calling an entire life group to relocate and start a church together. I don't know how that makes you feel, but I get a little tingly thinking about it. I've had two different people in the last three weeks that have asked me about planting a church near them. God hasn't called me that. Don't worry. I'm not fixing to announce I'm leaving. That's not happening. But there are people around us who hunger and desire for the kind of community that God has given us. And we need to see it. We need to recognize it. Our life groups were designed to be missional. Our friends and our neighbors need God just like we do. That community that we get together with, that we can be authentic, that we can share what's going on in our lives, that we can be real about our struggles, where we can laugh together, where we can eat together, where we can raise children together. We're not the only ones who need and desire that. There are people around us, and they may not even know they want it yet, but they do. As soon as they get a taste, they're going to be like, man, this is, this is awesome. The focus of this study, the book of Hebrews, has been to encourage us to tell a story that's worth telling, and this is one that's worth telling. It's worth telling the fact that we, just like Israel, fail over and over and over again. And as we heard in the kids' message this morning, God's mercy is new every day. He loves us in spite of our failure. And that's not a message that the world hears often. What the world hears is what Callie was experiencing, is when you mess up, hide that so people don't see it. But what we've discovered in our life groups is that when we bear that that sin, when we talk about it, when we get it out in the open, it helps us. It helps us to feel loved by the people in our lives and also God. Because what the world doesn't need is more people who, who bury and hide the things where they've messed up. What the world needs is a people who says, yeah, I'm just like you. I make mistakes. I'm not proud of them, but I need to deal with them. And we need to talk about it. And we need to love each other through it. God's given us a directive church. So we have to make a choice. Are we going to choose to follow his lead? Or are we going to choose to live in rebellion? Because if we're neglecting who God has called us to be, we are being just like Israel. And so this week, here's, here is the do this today. Okay? Think about this today. Talk about this this week with your life group. Are you fulfilling God's call? Not is your life group. That will come up. Are you as a member of your life group, are you fulfilling God's missional call to live in community and to share that community with other people? And I know that's, I don't like ending a sermon on this tone, but this is where we are in the text. The author of Hebrews is encouraging the church by saying, don't be like Israel. Don't live in rebellion. It's not worth it. It's not worth it for us either.
And so I'm going to be asking myself the same questions I'm asking you to ask yourself. Are we being, are we living, are we doing the things that God has called us to do? Or are we making it about ourselves? And those are hard questions, but they're ones that we need to ask. Agreed? Let's pray. Jesus, I'm uh, really challenged by your word today. So Father, I, I ask for myself and for my, my brothers and sisters, that Lord, as we, as we ask those questions, are we being honest with ourselves about where we are? Or are we sugarcoating things to make us feel better about it? God, I'm asking for myself and for all of us that this week that we will spend some serious time talking to you about where we stand. Are we encouraging one another? Are we encouraging the people around us? Or are we just going through the motions? Father, this is a good, a good opportunity for all of us to just do a little check and just see where we are. So Father, I ask that you would give us courage to have hard conversations. And that as we do that, that you would reveal your love and your mercy for us. That we wouldn't feel ashamed or guilty about any of those things. But we would just be aware of where we are and move forward with you. Jesus, we ask all of this in your name. Amen.